wonderful people. Welcome back to Sidecar Stories. I uh, just realized that my lights are all wonky, so you're just seeing magic smoke in the background. Just a moment. Doesn't work if I press the button here. I have to have more confidence than that. I'll be right back. All right, let's see how that looks. Okay, good. And voila. There we go. There we go. Watch the smoke hopefully slowly dissipate in the background. Maybe not. That's all right. Okay. Welcome back to Sidecar Stories. I'm Sam, and today we are reading through chapter 12 of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Let me plug in so I can monitor my sound. Typically don't need to do it the whole time, but it's nice to have it for uh, the first little bit. Just so I can tell how everything's balanced together. Alright, how do I sound? Rachel, you're typically a pretty good judge. How's my voice? Sounds pretty good on my end. So, today, it's going to be like a lot of other days. We're going to go ahead and review what we saw last week. The interesting things we learned. Although mostly, the things that we learned were two weeks ago, and then last week we sort of saw Harry process the things that he'd learned. This week... We're going to learn a little more. Rachel says, I can't wait for you to come back. I've been organizing and cleaning for you to come back. I am super excited. I am essentially leaving really, really late tomorrow night. And so I'm going to be back wicked soon. You guys are probably going to sleep twice between now and then. I am going to sleep once. Um, and then maybe small little bits in between. Hopefully more than that, but I don't sleep well on planes, so... We shall see. I'm really looking forward to being back. I hope it snows while I'm there. That'd be nice. Haven't uh, seen snow in a while. I miss it. I miss looking at it, I should say. I don't miss dealing with it necessarily. Um, so we'll see. But very much looking forward to seeing you and dealing with you. I'll deal with all you home people all day long. Or that sounded stupid, I don't know why. <laughs> um, so let's just get on with it, shall we? What is that? What is that up there? What does that think that is? What on earth? Anyway. Not important. So, last week, chapter 11. Richard says, your voice sounds like a real audio person. <laughs> nice and crisp. Good to know. Gotta keep things nice and crisp like a real audio person. Last week, Harry was processing. He had learned that uh, his father and the man currently coming after him, too many pronouns, he learned that uh, the man coming after him, Sirius Black, knew his father, James Potter. So James Potter, Sirius Black, they were friends once upon a time. Way, way back in the day. 
This is news to Harry. Um, and in fact, he's a little bit angry about people not being more forthright. <laughs> what was that? Did you hear that? There's a house elf somewhere nearby. <laughs> um, he's a little angry with people for, for not being more forthright about this information. It seems like the sort of thing that he would uh, probably want to know. They weren't just friends, but um, Sirius Black was James and Lily Potter's secret keeper. We covered a lot of this last week, even in review. Um, but essentially, Sirius Black was the one person... I feel that that feels like it's weird coming off my tongue every time. I feel like I'm saying it wrong. Sirius Black. Um, Sirius Black was the one person in the world, essentially, who could have betrayed James Potter. James Potter trusted Sirius that much that he gave... Sirius Black, the one, the one spell secret, essentially, that, that could betray them, because he trusted him that much. And it would seem that Sirius Black betrayed him all the same. So here's dealing with that. Ron and Hermione, um, and last week we talked about they were, uh, they were being good friends, we'll get more into that later. Um... They are trying to get Harry's mind off of things, and so they suggest, you know, why don't we go down and see Hagrid? And Harry's like, you know what? Yes, let's do that. I want to find out why he never mentioned to me that Sirius Black knew my parents. So they go down there. And before Harry can get too down into his anger, uh, they learn that there's an inquiry of sorts. Um, something has happened. Hagrid himself seems to be off the hook for the whole Malfoy, um, you know, antagonizing a hippogriff thing. Unfortunately, the hippogriff itself is now under review, and he needs to bring it to London for a special um, hearing, essentially, to decide what's to be done with it. Now, this is bad news because the group that's sort of presiding over this event is the what is it, Department for... I think it's Disposal of Dangerous Creatures. I can't remember what it's called. Um, but essentially, they're bad people. And Harry, or excuse me, Hagrid especially doesn't like them because he says they've got it out for interesting creatures. Of course, Hagrid's definition of what an interesting creature is can be pretty widely varied. As I said... He interrupted Harry before Harry was able to sort of get deep down into his anger, and essentially the whole group realizes that if they're going to save the Hippogriff, they're probably going to need, a mount, need to mount a strong defense. So Harry puts his anger on the back burner for a while and decides he's going to help his friend Hagrid. Things seem like they're going pretty well. The group is together. Um... Harry doesn't feel like he's under immediate threat. He feels fairly safe. And then there's a whole argument about Scabbers and um, Crookshanks. This is going to come up again later, so I don't want to get too far into it because I have a bad habit of... Basically, I, I do my preparation for the chapter, and then... I go back and I'm looking at the old stuff, and if so if there's sort of a, a storyline that's continuing, I sometimes spoil things too early thinking I've already read them, because I have read them, just not on stream yet. I read them to uh, set up these scenes that you're looking at before you. 
So that's where we're at. There's our last time on. And we're going to get into our chapter. As usual, if you've got anything you'd like to talk about, that's questions, comments, concerns, you know, uh, things about the stream, things about the chapter, the new people we're meeting, the new things we're seeing happening, anything like that, go ahead and put it in chat. I'd love to discuss it. Half the reason I do this. The other half is so I can do uh, silly voices arguing with one another. It's a good time. Uh, it seems like... Seems like my face is almost too bright, isn't it? I'm not going to sort it out now. It's fine. You're just going to see every detail. You can see all the, the, the little red spots on either side of my nose where my glasses sit. Because I wear glasses most of the time. But they reflect the light. Alright. You don't care about any of that. Let's do this. Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Chapter 12. The Patronus. Harry knew that Hermione had meant well, but that didn't stop him from being angry with her. He had been the owner of the best broom in the world for a few short hours, and now, because of her interference, he didn't know whether he would ever see it again. He was positive that there was nothing wrong with the firebolt now, but what sort of state would it be in once it had been subjected to all sorts of anti-jinx tests? Ron was furious with Hermione, too. As far as he was concerned... The stripping down of a brand new firebolt was nothing less than criminal damage. Hermione, who maintained... Mm, Hermione, who remained convinced that she had acted for the best, started avoiding the common room. Harry and Ron supposed she had taken refuge in the library and didn't try to persuade her to come back. All in all, they were glad when the rest of the school returned shortly after New Year and Gryffindor Tower became crowded and noisy again. I guess maybe I should remind the stream... Last time, at the very end of the chapter, Hermione had run to get McGonagall because she was suspicious of a gift that Harry received. Uh, a new firebolt. This is a new broom after his old one got smashed by the Whomping Willow. Um, so, Harry's got a new broom from... we don't know who. We know Hermione is suspicious that it's from Sirius Black, and uh, Professor McGonagall confiscated it because of that. They're furious at her, but... She's got her suspicions. I talked last week about how she was, uh, I think, a good friend for doing something hard and standing up to a friend there. Okay, back into it. Wood sought Harry out on the night before term started. Had a good Christmas, he said, and then, without waiting for an answer, he sat down, lowered his voice, and said, I've been doing some thinking over Christmas, Harry. After the last match, you know, if the Dementors... Come to the next one, I mean, we can't afford you to... Well... Wood broke off, looking awkward. I'm working on it, said Harry quickly. Professor Lupin said that he'd train me to ward off the Dementors. We should start this week. He said he'd have time after Christmas. Oh, said Wood, his expression clearing. Well, in that case, I, I really don't want to lose you as a seeker, Harry. Have you ordered a new broom yet? No, said Harry. What? You better get a move on. You know, you can't ride that shooting star against the Ravenclaw. He got a firebolt for Christmas, said Ron. A firebolt? No, seriously, a, a real firebolt. Don't get excited, Oliver, 
said Harry gloomily. I haven't got it any more. It was confiscated. And he explained all about how the firebolt was now being checked for jinxes. Jinxed? How could it be jinxed? Serious Black, said Harry wearily. He's supposed to be after me, so McGonagall reckons he might have sent it. Waving aside the information that a famous murderer was after his seeker, Wood said, But Black couldn't have bought a firebolt. He's on the run. The whole country's on the lookout for him. How could he just walk into quality Quidditch supplies and buy a broomstick? I know, said Harry, but McGonagall still wants to strip it down. Wood went pale. I'll go and talk to her, Harry, he promised. I'll make her see reason. Oh, a firebolt. A real firebolt on our team. She wants Gryffindor to win as much as we do. I'll, I'll make her see sense. A firebolt. That's the chapter break noise. Classes started again the next day. The last thing anyone felt like doing was spending two hours on the grounds on a raw January morning, but Hagrid had provided a bonfire full of salamanders for their enjoyment, and they spent an unusually good lesson collecting dry wood and leaves to keep the fire blazing, while the flame-loving lizards scampered up and down the crumbling, white-hot logs. The first divination lesson of the new term was much less fun. Professor Trelawney was now teaching them palmistry, and she lost no time in informing Harry that he had the shortest lifeline she had ever seen. It was defense against the dark arts that Harry was keen to get to. After his conversation with Wood, he wanted to get started on his anti-dementor lessons as soon as possible. Ah, oh, yes, said Lupin, when Harry reminded him of his promise at the end of class. Let me see. How about eight o'clock on Thursday evening? The history of magic classroom should be large enough. I think... Hmm. We'll have to be careful about how we're going to do this. We can't bring a real Dementor into the castle to practice on. Still looks ill, doesn't he? said Ron as they walked down the corridor, heading to dinner. What do you reckon the matter's with him? What? <laughs> what do you reckon's the matter with him? There was a loud and impatient from behind them. It was Hermione who had been sitting at the feet of a suit of armor, repacking her bag, which was so full of books it wouldn't close. "'And what are you at us for?' said Ron irritably. "'Nothing,' said Hermione in a lofty voice, heaving her bag back over her shoulder. "'Yes, you were,' said Ron. "'I said I wonder what's wrong with Lupin and you.' "'Well, isn't it obvious?' said Hermione, with a look of maddening superiority. Well, if you don't want to tell us, don't, snapped Ron. Fine, said Hermione haughtily, and she marched off. She doesn't know, said Ron, staring resentfully after Hermione. She's just trying to get us to talk to her again. At eight o'clock on Thursday evening, Harry left Gryffindor Tower for the History of Magic classroom. It was dark and empty when he arrived, but he lit the but he lit the lamps with his wand and waited only five minutes when Professor Lupin turned up, carrying a large packing case which he heaved onto Professor Binz's desk. What's that? 
said Harry. There's another bug out. It's another bogart, said Lupin, tripping off his cloak. I've been combing the castle ever since Tuesday, and very luckily I found this one lurking inside Mr. Filch's filing cabinet. It's the nearest we'll get to a real Dementor. The bogart will turn into a Dementor when he sees you, so we'll be able to practice on him. I can store him in my office when we are not using him. There's a cupboard under my desk here, like. Okay, said Harry trying to sound as though he wasn't apprehensive at all, and merely glad that Lupin had found such a good substitute for a real Dementor. So, Professor Lupin had taken out his own wand, and indicated that Harry should do the same. The spell I'm going to try and teach you is highly advanced magic, Harry, well beyond ordinary wizarding level. It is called the Patronus Charm. How does it work? said Harry nervously. Well, when it works correctly, it conjures up a Patronus, said Lupin, which is a kind of anti-Dementor, a guardian that acts as a shield between you and the Dementor. Harry had a sudden vision of himself crouching behind a haggard-sized figure holding a large club. Professor Lupin continued, The Patronus is a kind of positive force. A projection of the very things that the mentor feeds on. Hope, happiness, the desire to survive, but it cannot feel despair as real humans can, so the Dementors can't hurt it. But I must warn you, Harry, that the charm might be too advanced for you. Many qualified wizards have difficulty with it. What does a Patronus look like? said Harry curiously. Each one is unique to the wizard who conjures it. And how do you conjure it? With an incantation which will work only if you are concentrating with all your might on a single very happy memory. Harry cast his mind about for a happy memory. Certainly nothing that had ever happened to him at the Dursleys was going to do. Finally, he settled on the moment when he had ridden a first... Finally, he settled on the moment when he had first ridden a broomstick. Right, he said, trying to recall as exactly as possible the wonderful, soaring sensation of his stomach. The incantation is this. Lupin cleared his throat. Expecto Patronum. Expecto Patronum, Harry repeated under his breath. Expecto Patronum. Concentrating hard on your happy memory? Oh, yeah, said Harry, quickly forcing his thoughts back to that first broom ride. Expecto Patrono. No, Patronum, sorry. Expecto Patronum. Expecto Patronum. Something whooshed suddenly out of the end of his wand. It looked like a wisp of silvery gas. Did you see that? said Harry excitedly. Something happened. Very good, said Lupin, smiling. Right then, ready to try it on a Dementor? Yes, Harry said, gripping his wand very tightly and moving into the middle of the deserted classroom. He tried to keep his mind on flying, but something else kept intruding. Any second now, 
he might hear his mother again. But he shouldn't think of that, or he would hear her again, and he didn't want to. Or did he? Lupin grasped the lid of the packing case and pulled. A Dementor rose slowly from the box, its hooded face turned toward Harry, one glistening, scabbed hand gripping its cloak. The lamps around the classroom flickered and went out. The Dementor stepped from the box and started to sweep silently toward Harry, drawing a deep, rattling breath. A wave of piercing cold broke over him. Expecto Patronum! Harry yelled. Expecto Patronum! Expecto! But the classroom and the Dementor were dissolving. Harry was falling again through thick white fog, and his mother's voice was louder than ever, echoing inside his head. Not Harry! Not Harry, please! I'll do anything! Stand aside! Stand aside, girl! Harry! Harry jerked back to life. He was lying flat on his back on the floor. The classroom lamps were alight again. He didn't have to ask what had happened. Sorry, he muttered, sitting up and feeling cold sweat trickling down behind his glasses. Are you all right? said Lupin. Yes, Harry pulled himself up on one of the desks and leaned against it. Here. Lupin handed him a chocolate frog. Eat this before we try again. I didn't expect you to do it your first time. In fact, I would have been astounded if you had. It's getting worse, Harry muttered, biting off the frog's head. I could hear her louder that time. And him, Voldemort. Lupin looked paler than usual. Harry, if you don't want to continue, I will more than understand. I do, said Harry fiercely, stuffing the rest of the chocolate frog into his mouth. I've got to. What if the Dementors turn up at our match against Ravenclaw? I can't afford to fall off again. If we lose this game, we've lost the Quidditch Cup. All right, then, said Lupin. You might want to select another memory. A happy memory, I mean, to concentrate on that one. Doesn't seem to have been strong enough. Harry thought hard and decided his feelings when Gryffindor had won the house championship last year would definitely qualify as very happy. He gripped his wand tightly and took up his position in the middle of the classroom. Ready, said Lupin, gripping the box lid. Ready, said Harry trying hard to fill his head with happy thoughts about Gryffindor winning, not dark thoughts about what was going to happen when the box opened. Go, said Lupin, pulling off the lid. The room went icily cold and dark once more. The Dementor glided forward, drawing its breath. One rotting hand was extending toward Harry. Expecto Patronum! Harry yelled. Expecto Patronum! Expecto Pat white fog obscured his senses. Big, blurred shapes were moving around him. Then came a new voice. A man's voice, shouting, panicking. Lily, take Harry and go. It's him. Go, run! I'll hold him off. 
sounds of someone stumbling from a room, a door bursting open, a cackle of high-pitched laughter. Harry? Harry? Wake up! Lupin was tapping Harry hard on the face. This time it was a minute before Harry understood why he was lying on a dusty classroom floor. I heard my dad, Harry mumbled. That's the first time I've ever heard him. He tried to take on Voldemort himself, to give my mum time to run for it. Harry suddenly realized there were tears on his face, mingling with the sweat. He bent his face as low as possible, wiping them off on his robes, pretending to do up his shoelace so that Lupin wouldn't see. You heard James, said Lupin in a strange voice. Yeah. Face dry, Harry looked up. Why? You didn't know my dad, did you? I... I did, as a matter of fact, said Lupin. We were friends at Hogwarts. Listen, Harry, perhaps we should leave it here for tonight. This charm is ridiculously advanced. I shouldn't have suggested putting you through this. No, said Harry. He got up again. I'll have one more go. I'm not thinking of happy enough things, that's what it is. Hang on. He racked his brains. A really, really happy memory. One that he could turn into a good, strong Patronus. The moment when he'd first found out he was a wizard, and would be leaving the Dursleys for Hogwarts. If that wasn't a happy memory, he didn't know what was. Concentrating very hard on how he had felt when he realized he would be leaving Privet Drive, Harry got to his feet and faced the packing case once more. Ready? said Lupin, who looked as though he were doing this against his better judgment. Concentrating hard? All right. Go. He pulled the lid off the case for the third time, and the Dementor rose out of it. The room fell cold and dark. Expecto Patronum! Harry bellowed. Expecto Patronum! The screaming inside Harry's head had started again, except this time it sounded as though it were coming from a badly tuned radio. Softer and louder, and softer again. And he could still see the Dementor. It had halted and then a huge silver shadow came bursting out of the end of Harry's wand to hover between him and the Dementor, and though Harry's legs felt like water, he was still on his feet, though for how much longer he wasn't sure. Ridiculous, roared Lupin, springing forward. There was a loud crack, and Harry's cloudy Dementor, nope, Harry's cloudy Patronus vanished, along with the Dementor. He sank into a chair feeling as exhausted as if he'd just run a mile, and felt his legs shaking. Out of the corner of his eye he saw Professor Lupin forcing the Bogart back into the packing case with his wand. It had turned into a silvery orb again. Excellent, Lupin said, striding over to where Harry sat. Excellent, Harry. That was definitely a start. Can we have another go? Just one more. Not now, said Lupin firmly. You've had enough for one night. Here, 
He handed Harry a large bar of Honeyduke's best chocolate. Eat the lot, or Madame Pomfrey will be after my blood. Same time next week? Okay, said Harry. He took a bite of the chocolate and watched Lupin extinguishing the lamps that had rekindled with the disappearance of the Dementor. A thought had just occurred to him. Professor Lupin, he said, if you knew my dad, you must have known Sirius Black as well. Lupin turned very quickly. What gives you that idea? He said sharply. Nothing. I I mean, I just knew that they were friends at Hogwarts, too. Lupin's face relaxed. Yes. I knew him, he said shortly. Or I thought I did. You'd better be off, Harry. It's getting late. Harry left the classroom, walking along the corridor and around a corner, then took a detour behind a suit of armor, and sank down on his plinth to finish the chocolate, wishing he hadn't mentioned black, as Lupin was obviously not keen on the subject. Then Harry's thoughts wandered back to his mother and father. He felt drained and strangely empty, even though he was so full of chocolate. Terrible though it was to hear his parents' last moments replayed inside his head, those were the only times Harry had heard their voices since he was a very small child. But he'd never be able to produce a proper Patronus if he half wanted to hear his parents again. They're dead, he told himself sternly. They're dead, he told himself sternly. They're dead, and listening to the echoes of them won't bring them back. You better get a grip on yourself if you want that Quidditch cup. He stood up, crammed the last bit of chocolate into his mouth, and headed back to Gryffindor Tower. Ravenclaw played Slytherin a week after the start of term. Slytherin won, though narrowly. According to Wood, this was good news for Gryffindor, who would take second place if they beat Ravenclaw too. He therefore increased the number of team practices to five a week. This meant that with Lupin's anti-dementor classes, in which, uh, this meant that Lupin's anti-dementor classes, which in themselves were more draining than six Quidditch practices, Harry had just one night a week to do all his homework. Even so, it wasn't showing the strain nearly as much as Hermione, whose immense workload finally seemed to be getting to her. Every night, without fail, Hermione would be seen on the corner of the common room, several tables spread with books, arithmancy charts, rune dictionaries, diagrams of muggles lifting heavy objects, and file upon file of extensive notes. She barely spoke to anybody, and snapped when she was interrupted. How was she doing it? Ron muttered when Harry sat finishing a nasty essay on undetectable poisons for Snape. Harry looked up. Hermione was barely visible behind a tottering pile of books. Doing what? Getting to all of her classes, Ron said. I heard her talking to Professor Vector, that arithmancy witch, this morning. They were going on about yesterday's lesson, but Hermione can't have been there. 
because she was with us in care of magical creatures. And Ernie McMillan told me she's never missed a Muggle Studies class, but half of them are the same time as divination, as she's never missed one of them either. Harry didn't have time to fathom the mystery of Hermione's impossible schedule at the moment. He really needed to get on with Snape's essay. Two seconds later, however, he was interrupted again, this time by Wood. <sighs> Bad news, Harry. Just been to see Professor McGonagall about the firebolt. She got, uh, a, a bit shirty with me. Told me I'd got my priorities wrong. Seemed to think I cared more about winning the cup than I do about seeing you alive. Just because I told her I didn't care if it threw you off just as long as you caught the snitch first. Wood shook his head in disbelief. Honestly, the way that she was yelling at me, you'd think I'd said something terrible. Then I asked her how much longer she was going to keep it. He screwed up his face and imitated Professor McGonagall's severe voice. As long as necessary, Wood. I reckon it's time you ordered a new broom, Harry. There's an order form in the back of which broomstick. You could get a Nimbus 2001, like Malfoy's got. I'm not buying anything Malfoy thinks is good, said Harry flatly. January faded imperceptibly into mm, imperceptibly. January faded imperceptibly into February, with no change in the bitterly cold weather. The match against Ravenclaw was drawing nearer and nearer, but Harry still hadn't ordered a new broom. He was now asking Professor McGonagall for news of the firebolt after every transfiguration lesson, Ron standing hopefully at his shoulder, Hermione rushing past with her face averted. No, Potter, you cannot have it back yet, Professor McGonagall told him the twelfth time this happened, before he'd even opened his mouth. We've got to check on uh, additional curses. We've checked for most of the usual ones, but Professor Flitwick believes the broom might be carrying a hurling hex. I shall tell you when we've finished checking it. Now please stop badgering me. To make matters even worse, Harry's anti-dementor lessons were not nearly... Anti... Hmm. <laughs> Definitely not that. To make matters even worse, Harry's anti-dementor lessons were not going nearly as well as he'd hoped. Several sessions in, he was able to produce an indistinct silvery shadow every time the bugart dementor approached him, but his patronus was too feeble to drive the dementor away. All it did was hover, like a semi-transparent cloud, draining Harry of energy as he fought to keep it there. Harry felt angry with himself guilty about his secret desire to hear his parents' voices again. You're expecting too much of yourself, said Professor Lupin sternly in their fourth week of practice. For a thirteen-year-old wizard, even an indistinct Patronus is a huge achievement. You aren't passing out any more, are you? I thought a Patronus would charge the Dementors down or something said Harry dispiritedly. Make them disappear. A true Patronus does do that, said Lupin, but you've achieved a great deal in a very short space of time. If the Dementors put in appearance... If the Dementors put in an appearance at your next Quidditch match, you'll be able to keep them at bay long enough to get back to the ground. You said it's harder if there are loads of them. 
said Harry. I have complete confidence in you, said Lupin, smiling. Here, you've earned a drink. Something from the three broomsticks. You won't have tried it before. He pulled two bottles out of his briefcase. Butterbeer, said Harry, without thinking. Yeah, I like that stuff. Lupin raised an eyebrow. Oh, Ron and Hermione brought me some back from Hogsmeade. Harry lied quickly. I see, said Lupin, though he still looked slightly suspicious. Well, let's drink to a Gryffindor victory against Ravenclaw. Not that I'm supposed to take sides as a teacher, he added hastily. They drank the butterbeer in silence, until Harry voiced something he'd been wondering for a while. What's under a Dementor's hood? Professor Lupin lowered his bottle thoughtfully. Hmm. Well, the only people who really know are in no condition to tell us. You see, the Dementor lowers its hood only to use its last and worst weapon. What's that? They call it the Dementor's Kiss, said Lupin, with a slightly twisted smile. It's what the Dementors do to those who they wish to utterly destroy. I suppose there must be some kind of mouth under there, because they clamp their jaws on the mouth of the victim and suck out his soul. Harry accidentally spat out a bit of butterbeer. What? They kill? Oh, no, said Lupin. Much worse than that. You can exist without your soul, you see, as long as your brain and your heart are still working. But you'll have no sense of self anymore. No memory, no anything. There's no chance at all of recovery. You just exist as an empty shell, and your soul is gone forever. Lost. Lupin drank a little more butterbeer, then said, It's the fate that awaits Sirius Black. It was in the Daily Prophet this morning. The Ministry have given the Dementor's permission to perform it if they find him. Harry sat stunned for a moment at the idea of someone having their soul sucked out through their mouth. But then he thought of Black. He deserves it, he said suddenly. You think so? said Lupin lightly. Do you really think anyone deserves that? Yes said Harry defiantly, for, for some things. He would have liked to have told Lupin about the conversation he'd overheard about Black in the Three Broomsticks, about Black betraying his mother and father, but that would have involved revealing that he'd gone to Hogsmeade without permission, and he knew Lupin wouldn't be very impressed by that. Though so he finished his butterbeer, thanked Lupin, and left the History of Magic classroom. Harry half-wished he hadn't asked what was under a Dementor's hood. The answer had been so horrible, and he was so lost in unpleasant thoughts of what it would feel like to have your soul sucked out of you that he walked headlong into Professor McGonagall halfway up the stairs. "'Do watch where you're going, Potter!' "'I'm 
sorry, Professor. I've just been looking for you in the Gryffindor common room. Well, here it is. We've done everything we could think of, and there doesn't seem to be anything wrong with it. You've got a very good friend somewhere, Potter. Harry's jaw dropped. She was holding out his firebolt, and it looked as magnificent as ever. I can have it back, Harry said weakly. Seriously? Seriously, said Professor McGonagall, and she was actually smiling. I dare say you'll need to get the feel of it before Saturday's match, won't you? And Potter, do try to win, won't you? I will be out of the running for the eighth year in a row, as Professor Snape was kind enough to remind me only last night. Speechless, Harry carried the firebolt back upstairs toward Gryffindor Tower. As he turned a corner, he saw Ron dashing toward him, grinning from ear to ear. Rachel said, why would McGonagall have gotten mad when she asked Harry about Harry's broom? When she was asked about Harry's broom. Uh, because Harry kept, kept uh, pestering her about it. You know, she's trying to do her best to keep Harry safe. You know, she's she's got this thing which might be dangerous. She knows she can test for dangerous things, but it takes time. And Harry comes up to her every single day after Transfiguration and asks, Um, is my broom done yet? McGonagall? McGonagall? Minerva, my gal. So uh, I think it was just getting on her nerves. She gave it to you? Excellent! Listen, could could I still have a go on it? Tomorrow? Yeah, anything, said Harry, his heart lighter than it had been in a month. You know what? We should make up with Hermione. She was only trying to help. Yeah, all right, said Ron. She's in the common room now, working for a change. <laughs> they turned into the corridor to see... Gryffindor... Oh! They turned into the corridor to Gryffindor Tower and saw Neville Longbottom, pleading with Sir Cadigan, who seemed to be refusing him entrance. I wrote them down, Neville was saying tearfully, but I must have dropped them somewhere. A likely tale, roared Sir Cadigan, then spotting Harry and Ron. A fine... Oh, good evening, my fine young yeoman. Come clap these loon in irons, he is trying to force entry into the chambers within. Oh, shut up, said Ron, as he and Harry drew level with Neville. I've lost the passwords, Neville told them miserably. I made him tell me what the passwords he was going to use this week, cause he keeps changing them, and now I don't know what I've done with them. Odds Barkins said Harry to Sir Cadogan, who looked extremely disappointed, and reluctantly swung forward to let them into the common room. There was a sudden excited murmur as every head turned, and the next moment Harry was surrounded by people exclaiming over his firebolt. Where'd you get it, Harry? Will you let me have a go? Have you ridden it yet, Harry? Ravenclaw have no chance, they're all on clean sweep sevens. Could I just hold it, Harry? After ten minutes or so, during which the firebolt was passed around and admired from every angle, the crowd dispersed, and Harry and Ron had a clear view of Hermione, the only person who hadn't rushed over to them, bent over her work and carefully avoiding their eyes. 
Harry and Ron approached her table, and at last she looked up. "'I got it back,' said Harry, grinning at her and holding up the firebolt. "'See, Hermione? There wasn't anything wrong with it,' said Ron. "'Well, there might have been,' said Hermione. "'I mean, at least you know it's safe now.' "'Yeah, I suppose so,' said Harry. "'I'd better put it upstairs.' "'I'll take it,' said Ron eagerly. "'I've got Gibbs Scavers' rat tonic.' He took the firebolt, and, holding it as if it were made of glass, carried it away up the boy's staircase. "'Can I sit down, then?' Harry asked Hermione. "'I suppose so,' said Hermione, moving a stack of parchment off of a chair. Harry looked around at the cluttered table, at the long Arithmancy essay on which the ink was still glistening, at the even longer Muggle Studies essay, explained why Muggles need electricity, and at the rune translation Hermione was now poring over. How are you getting through all this stuff? Harry asked her. Oh, you know, working hard, said Hermione. Close up, Harry saw she looked almost as tired as Lupin. Why don't you just drop a couple of subjects? Harry asked, watching her lifting books as she searched for her rune dictionary. I couldn't do that, said Hermione, looking scandalized. Arithmancy looks terrible, said Harry, picking up a very complicated-looking number chart. Oh no, it's wonderful, said Hermione earnestly. It's my favorite subject. It's... But exactly what it was about Arithmancy, Harry never found out. At that precise moment, a strangled yell echoed down the boy's staircase. The whole common room fell silent, staring, petrified at the entrance. Then came hurried footsteps, growing louder and louder. And then Ron came leaping into view, dragging with him a bedsheet. Look! he bellowed, striding over to Hermione's table. Look! he yelled shaking the sheets in her face. Ron, what? Scabbers! Look, scabbers! Hermione was leaning away from Ron, looking utterly bewildered. Harry looked down at the sheet Ron was holding. There was something red on it. Something that looked terribly like... Blood! Ron yelled into the stunned silence. He's gone! And you know what was on the floor? <laughs> No, said Hermione in a trembling voice. Ron threw something down on Hermione's rune translation. Hermione and Harry Hermione and Harry leaned forward. Lying on top of the weird spiky shapes were several long ginger cat hairs. That is the end of chapter 12. Tragedy has struck at last. It seemed like it was coming, didn't it? It seemed like people might have seen this coming. A rat and a cat hanging out together might be a recipe for something less than success. There you have it. That is going to be our only chapter tonight. I'm sorry. 
but uh, I have to make sure I'm prepared for my trip. I'm very much looking forward to being home, but uh, I do need a little time to prepare. It's going to be a long night. I am, like I said, I'm probably not going to sleep more than once, so I'm going to go to sleep tonight and then probably be up for like almost 24 hours. Maybe not straight, hopefully not straight. I'm hoping I can get some uh, a nap in there somewhere, but uh, we'll see, because I have to work tomorrow night and then head straight to the airport and then head straight to Chicago and then I'm going to get into Chicago at about 7 a.m. Uh, so. It's for a good cause. I'm pleased about that. Wonderful stream tonight. Thank you very much for watching. If you've got anything you want to talk about, go ahead and put it in chat. I'd love to discuss anything. I don't think I've got any, you know, big subjects to discuss right now. I'm sure I can think of something. Um, we're learning a little bit. We're learning a little bit about um, the history, which is one of the reasons, it's one of the things I really, really enjoy about what J.K. Rowling did with these books, which is that we, we start with Harry, and we learn at a really great pace what happened before Harry. And we learn why Harry and Voldemort are clashing. You know, why, of all the people in the world, why baby Harry? We're starting to learn a little bit about some connections between people. And I think that's fantastic. Rachel's asking, what time are you getting in? I'm going to get into Chicago at about 7 a.m. I'm going to get into, um, I'm going to get, I'm going to roll into town hometown which i try not to say on stream i don't really know if it's important but try not to um i'm gonna roll into town at probably about 6 p.m because i'm staying in chicago for a little while uh to visit and then um some friends are coming to pick me up from down there so that's where we're at. I'm very much looking forward to seeing you guys. Uh, Rachel's asking, so did Wood end up apologizing about just wanting to win? Not really. Not really. I think he and I think he believes he and Harry are on the same page about the importance of Quidditch. And in a way, I think he's probably right. He's not misreading those signals terribly. You know, Harry does seem to kind of disregard his own safety for the sake of winning at Quidditch. Um, that might, you know, that's something significant to talk about. These, uh, the Quidditch, the sport. It's something that Harry and Wood have both decided is something that defines them. It's something that's that important to them, and it's something that they're good at. And um, when... When people aren't as good at something as they think they are or as they hoped they would be, you know, Ron, not Ron, uh, Wood is in his last year at Hogwarts. This is it for him. And he's pretty nervous about not ever coming out of school having won a championship. Uh, just a moment, please. Just a second.
So no apology. But yeah, when people define themselves with something, having that definition of themselves challenged, that's right. rough. So, you know, uh, would sort of wanting to believe that he's good at Quidditch, because he is, you know, he's, he's skilled at Quidditch, but he's been up against some pretty incredible odds, and it's hard not to let that affect your opinion of yourself when it's challenging something that you consider very important about yourself. So that's where that's at. It was a good stream today. We had some great, uh, some great emotional moments. I felt good about that. I always like those. I like those in this. I like those in my uh, nerd games that I play. Also, I'm going to go ahead and promote it here because I think that's okay. It's not going to be the same. Um, hmm, it's not going to be the same, you know, what is it, MPAA rating? Uh, I keep this show PG. I think that's important because I think, you know, this should be open for people of all ages. I am recording a podcast with some people. It's going to be about nerd games. So, you know, tabletop RPG games like Dungeons and Dragons. It's going to be about uh, tabletop like board games. It's going to be about, um, you know, we're probably going to be talking about escape rooms tomorrow. There's all sorts of nerdy, geeky stuff. That one is going to be closer to PG-13 or R, so... I don't know that it's going to be a good intersection with this show, but I thought I should make you aware. We're recording at least three good episodes before we release the first episode, just so we know kind of where we're headed with it. And so we've got a little bit of back catalog in case we need to, um, you know, put things on pause. I'm guessing we'll start releasing sometime in January, probably late January would be my guess. Um, we've recorded one. Um, that's going to be released and we've recorded a second one that might not be released it ended up being more of a, a planning episode just us sort of talking about what we want the podcast to become we'll see but that um, is something that I will keep you appraised of and you'll know about it here I plan to talk about this when I'm on there and uh, I am really appreciating uh, you guys who have stuck with this I think I do it as much for me as I do for you guys. You know, I really enjoy getting to read Harry Potter. I enjoy getting to come back to it every week. I enjoy having something, having kind of a milestone every Sunday night. Um, and I really enjoy interacting with you guys about it and talking about talking about it in probably deeper terms I'm going to have at home. I don't know. I'm probably not going to be streaming while I'm in it, while I'm at home. Looks like the uh, the stream is tanking anyway. It's good timing. But uh, I will see you most likely when I get back from the trip sometime after the 5th. So, I'll see you then. I don't even know how much this is coming through. Probably not much. <laughs> Let's see. Okay, there we go. Alright, so I'm just going to reiterate that quick. And then we're going to be done for the night. I am probably not going to be streaming while I'm at home. Uh, so the most likely next time you will see me is going to be um, after January 5th. And I don't know what the date of that is going to be. What the, what the Sunday after the 5th is. Sunday after the 5th. The 5th is a Saturday, so maybe I could prep and stream on the 3rd. Not the 3rd. 
Excuse me. Maybe I could strep and prep and stream on the 6th. I'm going to try and do that. I'm going to try and I, I might try to prep on the plane or something. I'm not sure. But uh, depending on what my flights look like, I'll try to stream on the 6th next. So I will see you then. I love you so much. Thank you for watching and have a, a wonderful week. And to those people waiting for me at home, I'll see you soon.